0: So if you haven't been living under a rock, and most of us have actually for the last few months, you'd know that the Communications Council last week released its landmark Australian report with the Global Advertising Effectiveness Grandmaster Peter Field and his Australian contemporary Rob Britton. It delivered a truckload of evidence that the Australian and New Zealand markets are quite peculiar compared to the UK and US. Australian brand owners appear to be fearful and overreact in downturns compared to international markets and it takes years to recover their pre-downturn spend levels. It seems advertising spend versus GDP gets very mixed up in this country and New Zealand and I'd expect more from the Kiwis given on one of them. So this week we ask a Deloitte economist and CMOs at IBM and Volvo for their perspectives on the Australian conundrum with the co-author of the Winning or Losing in a Recession Report, Rob Britton. Interestingly, IBM CMO Jody Sangster says her company has held its marketing investment but with quite a radical overhaul, while Volvo's marketing boss, Julie Hutchinson, has been managing a significant COVID-induced hack to her marketing activities as she enters year three of her program to invest back in the Volvo brand and reweight the carmaker's mix between short-term tactical advertising and long-term brand investment. And most fascinating is that so far in June... Volvo is nearing sales numbers of June last year, so go figure that one out. So welcome to you all and thanks for joining. This is a really important conversation for industry, even though I suspect many are still to figure that out. So we're going to go to John Mahoney first, John Deloitte. you've got a perspective uh, on this. Uh, before we get into the into the trenches, give us an, an economist view of how it's all looking at the moment and what lies ahead. And no
1: doubt John with a stack of caveats. Thanks, Paul. Well, this is, of course, an unprecedented uh, period for the Australian economy. Just to set the scene in 2020, we're facing the greatest downturn since the Great Depression, a 10% fall in gross domestic product, that's in our overall level of economic activity, already some 1 million fewer jobs in the Australian economy, thanks to COVID-19. It's a very unusual period as well um, because the normal tools of economic policy that you try to um, that you try to use um, aren't going to be as, um, as effective, um, and the, 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 the impacts are very varied across different business sectors. So for some, they might be in healthcare or they might be in uh, in technology. They might have seen an uplift in uh, in activity levels recently, whereas obviously at the other end of the spectrum, businesses in hospitality. In tourism, in international education, you know, have absolutely been um, hammered by by the by the, um, the economic crisis caused by COVID-19, and that, of course, has very big implications for marketing and for advertising. Coming along to that old question of of marketing: is it a cost or is it a driver of um, revenue? And that's why it's a great uh, a great subject for us to be discussing today. We're going to
0: come back to get some more of your thoughts after Rob tells us the theory of the universe. Rob, uh, anyone who hasn't read your report or watched last week's webinar should via the Communications Council's website. But uh, give us your last six months' work, Rob, uh, in a couple of minutes. What are the really crucial findings here?
2: Well, I guess, like building on what John had said, we're looking at a really pessimistic view. Um, so the, the view amongst the marketing and the media community is that the recession will be a, a long and a deep one. And, you know, that's really causing a siege mentality. So businesses are very much in survival mode, focused on today, and they're not thinking about how they spur growth. And this is coupled with a lack of confidence in advertising. And, you know, as John referred to, marketing is often seen as a cost rather than a revenue generator in many businesses. You know, it isn't regarded as being an effective use of capital in a situation like this. Which is kind of ironic, really, because you know, boards understand the importance of brands. They think long term naturally and they understand the importance of brands to business profitability, you know, the optionality they provide in entering, new seg- in entering new segments, but they don't understand how to build them. And I think a lot of that speaks to the difficulty that Australian CMOs are facing in the boardroom and you know, many aren't winning that battle. I think amongst this as well, marketers are unsure of the effectiveness of their campaigns, either the ones they had in market pre-COVID or the ones that they had planned, and you know has have things fundamentally changed in the current context. And all this is leading to very deep cuts in advertising. We, we saw the April numbers, the April month numbers from SMI, that, that showed a thirty-five percent cut in advertising investment versus the year ago fit period, and you know that's equivalent to the cuts that we're seeing. In other advanced economies, like the US, where the number is 35 as well, but for us that's particularly concerning for a couple of reasons. So, firstly, Australia is much more a much better place to emerge more quickly from COVID-19 than most. You know, our containment of the coronavirus has been world-leading, and then you couple that with the magnitude of government and central bank support. You know, the cuts speak to a level of panic that you know really probably isn't justified. And secondly, as you alluded to earlier on, Australia has a history of a lower commitment to advertising spend than other advanced economies like the US and the UK. So we know that cutting advertising spend during a recession is normal, and in the US and the UK, the cuts are typically deeper than what we see here in Australia. So after the GFC, it took Australia seven years to regain its pre-GFC of advertising investment in real terms. Uh, New Zealand still hasn't regained that level today. Um, The U.S. also took seven years and the U.K. took five years. But here's where those other markets, the U.S. and the U.K. are different. Um, Their growth in advertising spend outpaces their uh, growth in economic output during expansion periods. So... The, the investment that they lose, they recover during the expansion. Whereas in Australia, our growth in ad spend at best matches GDP during expansionary periods. So the investment cut during the recession it is lost forever. And it, it affects Australian businesses because it leaves our brands in a permanently weaker state. But it, it also has uh, implications for the economy as a whole. So yeah, advertising creates demand. You know, Demand stirs up competition and competition spurs firms to invest and innovate to compete more effectively. You know, those are key ingredients, investment and in innovation and improving business productivity and driving economic growth. So what we see is that you know, advertising plays a key role in this system, but it hasn't been doing its part in Australia in the past, and the signs aren't encouraging going forwards. So if we take that kind of context and then turn to, to what we know, I and mean, one of the fortunate things for us is recessions aren't new. So the points I'll be talking to, are backed up by a significant number of studies covering multiple markets over a lot of recession periods from the 1920s through to the GFC. And I think in this, let's also remember that the primary role of marketing is to deliver future revenue and it, you know, it underwrites future cash flow and profit growth. So much of what you do now will determine whether, you, whether your business is a post-recession winner or loser. So if I come to key other key points in the report, I mean, firstly, there's clear proof that marketing is a highly effective use of capital during a recession. So it, we know it has a minor drag on profitability during the recession, which is, you know, that's symptomatic of the fact that demand does drop. But what it does is it positions the businesses to recover profits significantly faster during the ensuing recovery and expansion. And that profit recovery is underwritten by better sales performance, both during the recession, but then that momentum continues when economic conditions return to normal and the business continues to outperform its competitors. And it does that to an extent where when you look forward five or six years, the gap in performance between those who invested during the recession and those who didn't is really significant. And so it's those business, the winners really are those businesses that manage the balance between reducing their cost base to survive today, but whilst also continuing to invest in R&D, innovation and advertising, you know, those are the ones that are the post-recession winners. So secondly, at a general level, the thing is advertising still connects with people just as effectively now as it did before COVID. So in the majority of cases, the campaigns that were either planned or already in market prior to Covid can and should continue. So most marketers don't need to stop and recreate everything. They should continue unless what they were doing is clearly unsympathetic to the current situation or if it was attached to properties that just currently aren't available. So. There are some obvious exceptions to this, Um, you know, for example, central services such as supermarkets. But, you know, a majority can continue as previously planned, but there is some nuance here. So the, the latest evidence indicates that advertising with brand building characteristics is performing more strongly than advertising focused on driving short term sales. And this is particularly important for us right now because there's a significant body of empirical evidence that shows the outsized effectiveness of brand building, you know, as opposed to short-term sales activities. Uh, brand building effects they build cumulatively over time. And that means that the most powerful effects of brand building, if you do them now, will be experienced during the recovery phase. And it's that that helps play that key role in driving the return of the business to pre-COVID profitability levels. So there's an implication here for marketers that they need to review the balance of investment between brand building and short-term activation that they currently have. Now, thirdly, many competitors will now be spending less. So the level of advertising investment required to grow share of market is now lower. And we talk a lot in the paper about the importance of excess share of voice and that this is cheaper now to to obtain than during normal times. So you have the advantage, sorry, you have the chance to take advantage of weakness amongst your competitors. So, Rob, that's
0: your your six months worth, very well articulated in more than two minutes, but less than five. So well done on that. Before I get to John on his take, I want to ask you why you think Australia and New Zealand are such recalcitrants on the world stage on this front? What's Why? What's going on?
2: Why are we so different? Well, I think we're, we're, we have a habit of cutting even when we're not in recession. So if you think about Australia, we've not been in recession since 91. Um, but we cut heavily during the dot-com recession and we also cut heavily during the GFC. So, you know, it's part of being a globally connected society. But Australia is also a very retail-focused market. And, you know, we believe that really understanding of brand building in Australia amongst leadership teams, so the non-marketing community, is lower. In Australia, than it, it is in other markets, and what that leads to is the fact that marketing really it's viewed as, it's viewed as a lever to achieve business outcomes, but it's put much more in the short term bucket. Whereas actually, where marketing is at its most powerful is working in the future. It drives future revenue, future sales, and that's its wrong, that's the part that's not understood. So. It's not seen as an effective use of capital right now, and so it's withdrawn. It's further down the list than other other investments of, as to where to place capital right now.
0: John Mahoney, how does that sit with your uh, your conversations and understanding of boards and C-suite and their view of marketing and advertising? Or
1: why are we a little bit
0: weird to the rest of the world?
1: Advertising and marketing definitely has a, a perceptions issue um, amongst uh, executive leadership inside some businesses and um, uh, for, for their boards as well. Well, and um, impressing on leadership the importance of marketing and advertising for growing revenue, not just being a cost, is an important cultural shift that we need to drive in Australia. And that means broadening out the conversation from um, chief marketing officers to chief finance officers to operations officers so that there's a broader group of stakeholders who are interested in the outcomes of of marketing it's not just a business outcome which can come from this but an economic one as well Um, we did some economic research for the communications council uh, three or four years ago to analyze how do advertising levels affect gdp how do they affect economic growth And what we found was that the Australian economy was some $40 billion bigger thanks to the impact of advertising. Because advertising is is what drives competitive tension between businesses. It helps give insights to consumers and helps drive productivity as well. So we really do think that advertising can play a role, not just in helping businesses through the recovery phase of COVID, but also the economy um, uh, overall. Um, And and for that, it will require some perceptions to change inside some businesses, um, but also amongst Government and, um, and 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 policy le- leaders um, uh, as as well, so that um, what's happening at in individual company level can also fan out across Australia. John, very quickly,
0: you, you also mentioned earlier uh, an interesting number. You've done some uh, some estimates on uh, intangibles on the balance sheet for companies, uh, where brand sometimes sits as an intangible. Uh, the value of that of intangibles on companies is some multi-billion-dollar figure. You mentioned
1: what's what's that? No, it's very. That's a very significant point. And what this speaks to is how companies are organised. So if you look on the balance sheets of, um, of companies compared with their total value um, for, for ASX listed companies, the biggest companies in Australia, only some 37% of their value is in tangible assets and another 15 percent in some intangibles that get, taken, that get um, taken on board and incorporated into their books. But that leaves about half of the intangible value of businesses, including things like their data, including things like their brand and goodwill, which is not accounted for. And because it's not measured well, it's not something that is always seen as important or invested in. And I do think that if brand was better understood and better better managed, that that could lead to a change in, in marketing behavior during these sorts of times as well. I mean, just one estimate from one of the leading brand finance agencies in Australia is that the top 10 brands alone in Australia Australia are worth some $80 billion. Now that is a huge asset. To think of that as being, as being something secondary um, during an economic crisis is obviously, is obviously see a very misplaced way to um, way to do business of course there're some of the businesses that are doing really well but I do believe that in in other parts of the business community um, brand wouldn't always have the the status financially that it deserves
0: look it's a great point and you know often there's a, there's an anecdote that's often used John that senior executives and boards uh, certainly take into account brand value when they're acquiring or selling but when they actually own it they undermanage. so you know that's a sort of another conversation for another three hours but Jody said thanks there. You are still stuck in Singapore. You're CMO for IBM Australia for another couple of weeks, I think. But from afar, there's been uh, an enormous amount of change happening at IBM through through COVID. You're you're holding your pre-COVID investment, I think, but it's looking very different. And interestingly for a B2B business, you are investing in brand. Now, as part of, I think, Rob Britton's alignment with Peter Field, he's been doing a lot of work on B2B marketers and marketing, investing in brands through, through LinkedIn globally. What is happening in your world right now? now
3: so i think i should probably preface what i'm going to say with um, i'm very mindful that you know different businesses had to respond very in, in different ways to to covid and you know some brands and some organizations their business was severely impacted some obviously in in the mid range and some some businesses um, you know became kind of front and centre of helping others to, to actually kind of overcome the situation that we found our, ourselves in. So for us as IBM, you know, with a, a, being a technology company, uh, we kind of found ourselves in a position where we needed to help, um, you know, clients, industry, um, et cetera with many of the challenges that they were facing through COVID. So for us, you know, things like standing up a workforce uh, remotely, you know, at rocket speed, um, you know, helping to solve supply chain issues, uh, security issues, um, customer experience, all of those things that that many organisations out there were dealing with. For us, you know, that that was kind of, we wanted to be kind of front and centre and ensuring that we were helping those companies through it. So I think you know, sometimes when you're looking at brands, not it is not a one-size-fits-all. Um, and uh, you know, the response and being able to maintain marketing budget, we were probably in a, a good position to do that because of the type of company uh, that we are. So how did we change? Um, first things first for, for us, and I'll, I'll come into kind of the, the, the channel mix and really how we how we spend that um, for us, uh, the, the first biggest change was around messaging. So obviously, yes, we keep our kind of brand kind of core messaging, but how that brand goes to market had to change um, because we had to be both sensitive and empathetic with how businesses were, were dealing with this out in the market. So for us, we had to do a very quick kind of pivot, a change um, to ensure that that was, was the case. So um, a lot of work was done around that and, there, you know, as every business was, you know, kind of Scrambling around trying to to, to work out how do we kind of keep the campaigns that we've got in market but pivot them so that they are kind of relevant. Um, timely, but also sensitive and, and empathetic. So there was a, a lot of work around that. The second big change was how do we how do we spend that budget? So making sure that yes, we've kind of got our two streams. Um, and I like to uh, not sure if it was uh, John or Rob that mentioned it. You know, you kind of have your brand investment, but you also have your short term investment in kind of driving driving business. So uh, for us, you know, we had to relook at the mix of those and how do we kind of keep both of those going, both of those streams going. Uh, through this. Um, for brand, you kind of had to look at different things. So for us, uh, you know, if, if no one was uh, out of their home at the time, you know, us doing out-of-home would have been challenging, so we'd have to kind of change to, to different channels um, with much more emphasis on digital. Um, in the kind of short term, um, being a technology company, as many of us are, we're kind of quite reliant on face-to-face events. Well, you love them.
0: events, Jodie, thanks to you. You're the tech sector, love them. <laughs> and, and, they, and, and they all went. They all they disappeared. They
3: all went. They, li- like, literally went overnight. Uh, So all of our our lovely plans for for Q2 and and beyond um – you know, you take out the events and you go goodness me what are we going to what are we going to do yes <laughs> and also I mean things like c-suite engagement you know there's a lot of kind of face-to-face engagement that that we're involved with account-based marketing all of this kind of had elements in there that all of a sudden literally have gone um, and then we had to relook and go how are we going to do this and how do we invest that money to actually kind of drive the drive the same same return um, so a lot of that was shifted to digital um, and I mean kind of digital as in yes digital digital events and different ways of doing things uh, which has been very interesting
0: and very crowded right
3: hugely crowded and this was this is the problem actually Um, and and as much as i think um rob was saying that there might be an opportunity you know as your competitors aren't out in the market that you can kind of take advantage of that and have an increased share of voice there is also a lot more people that shifted into digital channels Huge amount more, so you've got a, a lot more kind of competition in a much more kind of confined um, set of uh, set of channels. So that's a, that's been a, a big change for us too. So look, I think overall, if I look at kind of how we how we had to pivot, it was this shift from physical to digital, um, and understanding. How those were going to perform, considering we hadn't done it before.
0: Early signals, early signals, Jody, Has it worked, or where is it at?
3: Look, I think some things work and some things don't, um, and and you know, and and that's the the beauty of of kind of learning as you as you go along. So, for example, do digital events perform as well as physical? No, they don't. The engagement level. I mean, we all know that sitting on a on a kind of webinar is hard, right? Except, <laughs> so,
0: of course, for this podcast.
3: Except for this podcast,
0: standout, standout option. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Agreed. Uh, so look, I think, and again, it's it's that, it's kind of moving into a much more agile way of doing things to go, that doesn't work, or it works, it just doesn't deliver the same amount of return. And therefore, we need to enhance it in these different ways. So it's been an interesting uh, quarter, uh, but the learnings are going into, into Q3. Now, the last thing I would say is, the learnings out of this will probably change the way that we do marketing forever. And that is a good thing, right? You, you have to sometimes be forced into change and it's forced us into change. And many other marketers out there I'm sure as well so maybe we will see um, you know moving forward as the investments start to come back there'll be investments in a broader set of areas that maybe we didn't see before
0: very quickly did you you maintained or increased or what did you do with your investment on the brand side because what you're talking there is very tactical uh, retail stuff that you've just re-engineered if you like brand
3: brand we maintained so that kind of our, our kind of brand architecture and putting smart to work is kind of the kind of messaging but everything underneath that had to to, had to change and the mix changed so kind of what that meant pre-COVID and what that meant during and after COVID and how that kind of brand is brought to life, uh, very different now. So, uh, yeah, but but in terms of investment in brand, we absolutely maintain it. And I think one of the important points that, uh, that John and Rob are making is that if you kind of switch off brand, um, you know, the investment taken, taken to actually then reignite brand, you know, you're spending an awful lot more to try and get back to where you started. So, so for us, it was very much a kind of a maintain position.
0: Julie Hutchinson, this whole discussion is really what you've been working on at Volvo for probably about three years. Uh, Maybe quickly recap what that looks like, what you've been doing at Volvo for the last three years and what the hell has happened in the past three
4: months? Sure. I think firstly, the biggest focus over the last three years has been about delivering consistent messages into the marketplace for Volvo. Um, very consistent, very deliberate. And that's been delivered really around building the distinctiveness in the brand uh, and the assets that we've created um, and always on strategy uh, in that brand layer as well. So does that
0: mean broaden consideration, Julie, or what is it? Yeah,
4: absolutely. So I would say it was probably 70% in favour of you know tactical offerings and ta- tactical messaging Uh, we turned that around and put 70% into brand and 30% into those tactical uh, messages. Both are important, um, but it was really clear that we needed to build more awareness around Volvo. And that's what we've been focused on on the last three years. And, you know, we did see really strong results. We do the global brand tracker and we could see between 2018 and 2019, we had effectively widened the funnel. Um, which is really what you want to do through that purchase funnel. So we would seen some really good signals. At every step, we saw percentage improvement, percentage point improvement, both through awareness, consideration, um, favorability and and intent. So um, it it was a really positive sign to see during um, that 12 month, 18 month period to see those positive movements. So then- Yeah,
0: then what happened?
4: Well, then we went to, uh, late last year, we went and spoke to our regional office and I was uh, told that it would be very unlikely to secure any additional funds. And I'd heard about ESOV being excess share of voice and the principle of investing more than your market share to grow your business and to grow your sales and and your revenue. So I I put that case um, to the region and thankfully they they were really supportive. I got additional investment for this year, but then COVID-19 hit. And uh, I've really noticed that as a small brand, it's been, you know, we've been hit hard. And I think that would be the case across industries. If you're a smaller, Uh, challenger style brand trying to grow in a very competitive marketplace, Uh, something like COVID-19 can hit you hard. And, you know, we spoke about and John mentioned uh, really the point around seeing the view of marketing and seeing marketing as an area to conserve cash and, and cut budgets rather than uh, an area that that grows that revenue and that base, and it's understandable that that cuts are expected. You know, I think a lot of brands, a lot of businesses, you know, it's a non-negotiable, uh, really, to keep businesses operating. So that's that's certainly um, the case. And. Very much the short-term focus, and that sales orientation has become really apparent in in recent months.
0: Just to be sure, in close, we haven't mentioned it. I don't recall. ESOV stands for excess share of voice uh, in terms of ad spend. So, what's happened in your conversations, Julie, uh, through COVID in trying to prosecute that strategy? How has it landed,
4: or not? I've seen that very quickly. We've we've gone into that short term. Uh, mentality so it is about selling cars today um, achieving targets today and less so about you know really focusing on that that long term and that that future revenue um that that you know really that recovery phase which is is critical so it is, a different dialogue, and, and during recession, I think, John, you touched on it, that, you know, businesses view marketing as a cost, and and I can say that that's definitely something that um, I felt uh, over the last couple of months. Having said that, there's been opportunities as well, um, so, you know, you, you really go and fight for really good negotiation and good rates with your partners during those times, so I've been surprised at how flexible partners have been in terms of rates, in terms of, um, you know, um, lockdown periods or, or how long that period might might be. Traditionally, you would lock it down for maybe 12 month period, but there's a lot more flexibility in terms of um, securing good inventory. Um, with more flexible terms.
0: There's a crazy thing happening with you and your sales numbers for June, right? You're saying you're almost tracking year on year comps. What what the hell's going on there? Well,
4: actually better, better than last year. So I was on a sales call this morning and we are having a better June than we had in June uh, 2019, which is a great result. And it's caught everyone by surprise. So when you hear about this V-shaped recovery, I think um, I'm really optimistic based on on what I'm hearing around and seeing and witnessing the dealers have had to call all their staff that they had you know, stood down during the COVID period and said, we need your help. We can't deliver all these cars. Um, the demand has come back really quickly. And I, I think it is true for the industry. I think it'll be really good to see what the automotive sales are for June. June is a, a, a strong month Anyway, we all know that we end a financial year, but it has caught us by surprise, and. Yeah, I think the good planning and the good work that we've done for a few years has hopefully helped um, helped with that as well.
0: So Julie, what is your market share and, and are you spending
4: above that now? So our share of market at the moment is 0.7%. That's May year-to-date figures. And our share of voice in the marketplace is roughly 3%. So I'll let everyone else do the calculations on what our ESOV is, but it's positive, which is a really good sign. And, and it is up versus last year. So we are in good shape. Um, but we want to extend that further to support that future growth. I've
0: got to ask John, what do you make of that? Um, both what Jodie and Julie have been talking about, John, fit with what you're seeing, hearing more broadly?
1: Yes, I mean, the, the story that, that Julie and Jody have, have explained there is what's happening across Australia, writ large, you know, those same sorts of tensions that affecting businesses, you know, the commercial aspects um, that are short term focused, and then also the business voices that are saying, well, where do we want to be in six months time? Or where do we want to be in, um, in 12 months time? Um, I think the broader question that I think um, a lot of people need to ask as well is, where is the country going to be um, in that period? Um, Do we want to come out of this crisis stronger um, uh, and faster? And how can advertising and marketing help us do that? At a time when business leaders have many priorities, many competing priorities, as Jody mentioned, um, you know, the digital changes which are going on now, they're affecting um, marketing and advertising, but they're not just affecting that. There's also been an acceleration in digitization of operations, of teams, or of how the back office functions of businesses are working as well so it's a time when businesses are trying to do many different things at the same time while of course being safe and responsible businesses that are looking after their workers and their customers um, you know from a health perspective as well so um the 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 added challenge for 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 business leaders and and why i think we do need to cut them some slack is it's a very challenging time to be making to be making decisions and the the best way to, to address that is obviously to consult widely, um, you know, within firms to make sure that um, uh, we've got, you know, evidence-based um, consultative decision-making.
0: Well, Rob Britton, um, John just mentioned evidence-based. There's, a, there's enough evidence-based out there uh, in the market. And in Julie's case, for example, this is the classic challenge, right, articulating the principles of short and long, ESOV and so forth, which she's done clearly, still trouble in terms of landing that in behavior during a downturn. What do you say to marketers like Julie that are trying to prosecute and up against those challenges?
2: Well, firstly, I'd say don't stop trying. Um, it's, uh, I guess, trust builds over time at the end of the day. And I think fundamentally what's behind it is you know, marketing needs to be seen as being very much in line with the business objectives. So marketing being very clear about that and how they fit in and support that. But then being very clear around the fact that, you know, the discussion that we've been having about it being a future revenue driver, you know, it underwrites future cash flows, it de-risks the business, so it helps to deliver the long term plan and that is the power of marketing. It's not in terms of delivering the today, it's actually more about delivering tomorrow and there's a significant body of empirical evidence behind this that shows the impact of things such as brand building. On brand profitability, on long-term share growth, on customer acquisition, and it's those sorts of things when continuously shared with boards and you know being quite relentless with it, you know they see it, they start to understand it. But marketing really needs to be reframed in their mind, and I think being tenacious about that and continuing to go with it. So you know for example, some of the clients I work with, it's a two or three-year journey. For them to gradually start to bring the board on their side, but I guess it's where, where the proof is in the pudding, right? So it, when there's easy growth, when there's expansion, everyone benefits from that. It's you only really find out where the support is when you know you have to fight for that kind of investment. Which is where we are now. And it sounds like, you know, Julie's come a long way. She hasn't won that battle yet, but she's made significant <laughs> progress in that area. And so, you know, which is the toehold that, that marketing needs. But it's, it's funny, you know, the fact that, you know, June sales being so good for Volvo, there's a reason for that. You know, category demand would have come back. But if Volvo is getting an unfair share of that, the reason it's getting an unfair share is because of the strength of the brand in the current situation.
0: Yeah, we look forward to what's your hunch there, Julie? Do you think that? Uh, you are outpacing the market or are you in line with market growth?
4: It's hard to tell right now, um, Paul. I think, you know, I, I can't wait to see the June results come through. I, I can't comment, but it is unprecedented for us.
0: Mm. As I feared, we are already almost out of time. So I'm going to wrap up with a couple of closing questions for you all. But Jody, first, I mean, uh, Rob talked about uh, marketing needed to be more aligned to business results and outcomes. At IBM, how is marketing viewed? And let me just uh, ask you again to um, elaborate a little on when you said marketing for IBM has changed forever, what does that look like?
3: I wrote a note to myself that I, I wanted to make a comment on this, uh, this idea of, you know, that that um, kind of leadership and boards not understanding the, the role of marketing. Um, and I think actually it's incumbent on us as marketers to change our language so that we can be at that business conversation and part of that business conversation and delivering to that business conversation. Um, rather than it being the business needing to understand us. And I think it's that next step for marketers. And I think that's why we're seeing marketers are often changing the job title, you know, whether it's I'm a chief growth officer or chief revenue or chief uh, customer officer, whatever it may be, uh, to kind of get that kind of broader piece of the role in there, which is about I understand the business, I'm contributing to the business and I'm part of that, that business conversation. So I actually think that the role of CMO needs to, change and evolve into that, um, you know, if if we want the business to understand the, the impact.
0: Well, it's a great point, Jodie, and it's interesting, isn't it, that even our Prime Minister uh, at one point was called Scotty from marketing in a not so um, uh, enlightening and uh, enriching way, if you like. And there's a sort of a stigma around marketing being light. So it's a, it's an interesting point. But sorry, I digress. Changing marketing forever at IBM and, and IBM's board view on, on marketing.
3: Yeah. So just in terms of the, the board view of marketing, I think that that's the kind of the extension of what I was saying is that at IBM we've got a very kind of clear uh, business focus. Uh, you know, we're very clear on the kind of metrics that the the business is measured by, and marketing is held accountable to that. So marketing doesn't have a kind of completely set of a different set of metrics off to the side. We're actually all talking to the business metrics, um, and you know, IBM does have you know, the the CMO is kind of does have a seat at that that leadership table and is very much part of those those discussions. So, so for us, I think it's um, it, it is is kind of part of how we're set up. Uh, um, what we're measured on and how you know, what, what, what we're delivering as a business that that, that we are all aligned and, and marketing does kind of play that that kind of pivotal role. So I think for us that's probably a little bit easier than others that are trying trying to then kind of change the structure to bring marketing in to that conversation. Um, maybe that's a, a little bit more more difficult. Um, in terms of marketing changing forever, uh, I can keep that one relatively short. I think for us the 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 switch to Or the increased importance of digital for us um, is where it's changed forever. And, you know, whether that's, you know, in terms of kind of earned and paid media, uh, whether it's in terms of how we deliver up um, uh, our kind of the the activities that were previously physical and now are that need to be kind of delivered in in a digital way. Um, I don't feel that in any of those ways we're going to go back to where we were previously, um, because.
0: So even though you say your event stuff and your per- in-person activity was better than the virtual option, you won't go back to that.
3: I think there are some real benefits in 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 the digital approach. So for example, I mean, to, for large scale, you know, big big conferences, you know, there's nothing better than getting everyone into into a room and feeling kind of you know uh, amazing about kind of what's up on the stage, right? But there's other things where it's a real struggle to get, you know, ten C-suite round a table to to have a discussion, and trying to do that physically is hard. But actually, it's proved easier um, in the digital environment. So, so there are areas where we go, we've learnt that, and and we've learnt that the audience prefers it in that way. So we will keep that as part of part of the mix. So I, I think that's uh, that's the big change for us. And as I said, I think part of it will go back to how we were previously. Um, But we will certainly, you know, at least 50% of it will change moving forward and probably forever more.
0: So those luxe dinners that you put on for the C-suite, they'll be virtual for eating as well then, Jody, Julie Hutchinson, um, what does it look like for you in the next few months? Like, What is your priority and focus?
4: So really the biggest focus is to maintain the investment that we've got for marketing and to keep a positive ESOV. That's critical. Uh, And then my aim on top of that is to have that continuous dialogue uh, through management and then also through regional levels to really showcase the reasons why now is, is the time to uh, double down if if possible and if there are the funds available to extend that ESOV further. Um, so that's really what I'm aiming to achieve over the, the next little while.
0: John Mahoney, very quick macro again, uh, projection, but also uh, your sense on whether we talk about this this need for marketing to become more business orientated, uh, CMOs to write, all those things. Um, we talk about it a lot. What's your really? What's your real sense on uh, how long it's going to take to get there?
1: Look, I think a, a, a big factor that will play a role in that is is how effectively businesses and governments can work together. I know the government's established um, the COVID nineteen response commission that that Nev Power is um, is uh, is chairing and that Peter Harris is the is the CEO for. I think if they have a broad remit that's not just uh, infrastructure projects but also thinking, you know, how can the economy be more innovative you know how can it operate with less red tape um, what policy changes can be put in place so that business can can help drive this recovery alongside the, the kind of the government spending I think that's going to have a pretty big a pretty big role also it'll be, it'll come down to how how um, I think how um, how innovative, we can be as people and as as businesses um, will um, will affect it too. There's an opportunity here for a real digital legacy to have come from the COVID-19 period. All these things that we've been talking about for a long time, like telework, Telehealth, teleeducation—you um, know all the and, and and actually e-commerce as well to, to put into that put into that bag. I mean, I know I've personally been forecasting the the imminent boom of all of those things for about ten or fifteen years, but but always been a bit disappointed with how quickly we've changed as a country. And then suddenly, in the last three months, all those things have all those things have gone gangbusters. So I think, as Jody said, coming out of this coming out of this uh, this very unusual period, how can we reimagine what our economy looks like um, so that we can be a lot more innovative um, and I think that, 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 that speaks to marketing as well. How can marketing become more part of corporate strategy? That was the number one recommendation I think we had from our our, our report called Advertising Pays which we did for the, the Communications Council at Deloitte about um, about four years ago. It was how could advertising and marketing be more integrated into corporate strategy so that it was about growing businesses um, and obviously not just the, 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 the product or the service that was being provided. So um, it be It'll be a very interesting time to see how the economy recovers in the next 12 months. Rob Britton, I'm going to set you up a little bit. We were talking off the
0: mics uh, yesterday about why Australia was sort of slightly different, and you, you talk about how immigration may have helped Australia become, sort of generate lazy growth and lazy innovation. Uh, maybe one of the reasons why we don't invest as heavily in advertising here. Your take on that versus what John's talking about, and then. Just a little bit of how you reckon this stuff's going to land, like Julie's trying to land it with her C-suite. How do you think the broader market's going to land this, this, these principles you talk about? Yeah, well,
2: I think Australia's been lucky. I mean, immigration's a good thing, right, at the end of the day, but it's provided a tailwind, which has meant that, you know, advertising hasn't had to play the role in terms of helping to you know drive economic output that it potentially has in other markets. And so, yeah, I think the term lazy growth is definitely a good one. I think that has bred you know a certain amount of complacency there and you know when we think about the fact that it's a very retail focused market so when you talk to other markets about australia and new zealand they do talk about them being very retail focused which i think naturally lends it towards being kind of a a shorter term focus for marketing and you know marketing hasn't fought and won that battle about really understanding its role that it plays in terms of future revenue growth and positioning it in the business like that and you know so yeah, objectives, targets haven't been set accordingly. Uh, I think now, I mean, it's it's the time that you know, marketers really need to position themselves around what is it they're going to do today that is going to help them make the most of the upswing of the recovery that's coming because really that's a lot of what marketing is about right now. We talk about future revenue, so it's how are they going to make the most of the recovery What are they going to do that is going to help the business emerge as a post-recession winner? Because we know that most aren't. About 80%, they don't recover previous profitability levels within three years that they had prior to the recession. So winners are in the minority, so what is it they're going to do? And in order to do that, they do need the internal support. They need the support behind investment, which they know that they need to make. And so it's those arguments, again, those empirical evidence that, that we've got around the impact on business profitability, around the impact on brand, and the fact that it reduces price sensitivity, and the fact that when demand comes back into the market, if your brand is one of the ones that's at the top of people's minds, then you're more likely to win. But that's done now. It's not done later on. If you're going to win, you've got to do that kind of stuff now. And that's the challenge that they face. So it's orientating marketing around being that future thing, being the thing that is gonna help enable the upswing. And get that disproportionate growth. And that's something that, that I missed out on saying beforehand was you know, Peter Field did a new analysis for, for the paper, and he showed that actually, did there's, whilst there's a disproportionate upside, which we've talked about to marketing during a recession, there's also a disproportionate downside. So those who cut investments get disproportionately punished during a recession. So brand profitability, that's you know that receipts much more quickly during a recession than it would do in normal times. So The playing field is really disrupted. You know, things are fluid. They're changing in a way that they haven't done beforehand. It's the time for opportunists. It's the time to exploit weakness, but it needs to be done now.
0: We're about to wrap up, but John, I've got to ask you uh, about Australia being lazy growers and lazy innovators. Uh, do you accept it's, um, it,
1: th- that is a, a weak point? Look, Australia can do a better job in how it drives growth. Migration resources um, have been important sources of growth in the past, and I'm sure they will be in the future, but, um, but, but charting an economic, an economic growth path that is more reliant on our ingenuity Um, on on new businesses and in an environmentally sustainable way is obviously very important to the future um, of the country. And I think um, maybe some silver lining to the crisis is how it makes us rethink um, how our economy can grow. I think that was a very
0: diplomatic way of saying yes, John, but that would be my take on it. Thank you all. It's time. We're well over time. I've kept you too long. A fascinating conversation and really look forward to seeing how this plays out in the next 12 months and looping around. We'll let you go now back to your real jobs. Thank you all. Thank you. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre, that's moi, in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button.